If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to actually look a lot, at a lot of scripture today. Um, I felt like uh, I could say less and we could read more of God's word and that is always good. And so I uh, encourage you to, if you want to open your Bibles, otherwise all the scripture is on that document too if you uh, want to look through that document. Um, so uh, this week, as we start here, I, as many of you maybe have spent uh, extra time on the old internets. Uh, I know uh, Kelly and I were just talking about this, that uh, her, her phone keeps track of, of what she's doing. And uh, I think it was nine, was it 9%? She's bumped up 9% on her uh, use on social media. We're, it's all over, right? It's hard to not go on Facebook. Well, I guess we forced you to go on Facebook to right now. Um, but it's hard not to go on there and just see post after post after post about uh, graphs and people's comments. I um, recorded or I wrote down a few of the comments that I've heard this week because I, I think it really illustrates where we're going in Job uh, today. Uh, so here's a few of them. The first comment I saw kind of in this genre, something about, um, can we please stop pretending this thing is real? Hashtag Corona not real. Then not long after that, someone posts, please stop leaving your houses. I don't want to die. Hashtag is this the end? Hashtag scared. To uh, someone had a very angry rant about toilet paper. And then not long after that, someone was asking if anyone has some toilet paper because they did not hoard toilet paper. Um, and then I saw uh, post after post about people's thoughts about the pandemic. Is it how serious is it? Is it not? Links to many different interviews with doctors, uh, people have different thoughts, opinions. Um, the uh, Lots of different links to graphs and images describing how they think this is going to go. Lots of feelings like, we don't know what's this going to look like. Uh, multiple posts about people mourning, that, maybe not mourning, but very concerned about their grandparents, their elderly friends. Are they going to be okay? And then just posts about, uh, one of my favorites this week, someone posted, I just want to laugh. Let's stop talking about this virus for a moment. Please post the 15th picture on your phone. Right, these are always funny, you never know what they're going to be. The first pic I see that someone posts is a screenshot of CNN with the, t with the <laughs> title, Who Will Die From This Pandemic? So this person wants to stop laughing or wants to start laughing and not think about the virus and someone posts it, just skip to your 16th picture or don't post that. Um, apparently someone needed a screenshot of, of CNN saying, who will die from this? Um, I, I share that because I think today's, um, when we get into Job here, as we continue in a series in Job, there is tends to be this fog in a time of suffering that kind of rolls in and, and it gets, gets in your way and in your face and, and uh, distorts where you're looking or do, you don't know where to look. And it, it doesn't seem to be real linear. It's just kind of all around you, all over the place, back and forth. Uh, and I feel that right now as I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do internally, emotionally, myself, but then also as I look out into the world, everyone's all over the place in different places and it feels like a fog has rolled in. So many ideas and thoughts so many solutions, it seems to be clouding my mind, my emotions, my relationships, how I'm interacting with people. I felt this many times in my life um, when suffering comes in, this fog rolls in with it. Uh, 
it wasn't that many years ago that we were told right around this time that I would need to have open heart surgery. And I remember quickly feeling uh, all these different emotions and thoughts depending on the time and day, not sure where to look, not sure what to think about myself or God or the world. Uh, a, a year after that, we had um, Kelly uh, also had some medical things that, all, that again, felt like it rolled in, unsure, uncertain, out of control. Um, in the process of adopting our daughters, which was so joyful, also uh, an opportunity for us to suffer, um, just learning how to parent. And then it felt like a fog rolled in. Um, I was told that planting a church would cause uh, a fog to roll in, not nearly the, as dense of a fog, but maybe planting a church and then six weeks later, uh, you know, uh, not being able to meet maybe has rolled a little bit of a fog in. Uh, there's no church planting seminar I went to on what to do after six weeks when your church can't meet anymore. And we, and we feel this fog, I think maybe it quickly rolls in. It's like when you wake up in the morning, all of a sudden there's fog and you're driving to work and then by the afternoon it's gone. Those quick moments, I think we see that in, in hardship in marriage, in relationships. Sometimes we just feel that at work. There's a day that's foggy. Uh, our health, or um, e- even as we deal with things like depression and mental health that if it rolls in and there's a confusion and and uncertainty of what things are. And this is what we see as we look at Job. Uh, We want things to feel right. We want things to be settled and at peace. We want to know who God is and who we are and some clarity and focus in that. Um, But this fog of suffering rolls in. It causes us to rethink who God is and who we are. And Job is interesting because not only uh, in the book of Job uh, is this what I think is happening to him and his friends, but it actually is written in the same way. It's written as a fog. Well, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Um, just to catch you up, if you haven't been in the book of Job with us, Job was a very upright man. He was good to his family, his community. He was wealthy and successful. It said he was one of the, the greatest in the East where he in the area he lived. He was right with God. He was faithful to God. He had a good relationship with God. And so Satan then comes on the scene talking with God and says, I don't think Job actually really loves you. He, he only is faithful to you because you give him stuff. There's this exchange happening. He's not, you're not truly in a relationship uh, outside of that. And so God disagrees and he says, no, no, go, go ahead. Let's see, let's see if this is true. Job is an upright man. And so Satan comes and brings great, great suffering. Job loses everything in a moment. All he has, all of his stuff and even his family are all wiped away. And Job does not turn from God. In fact, he blesses God. And then it happens again. Satan comes back and says, yeah, but if you took his health from him, he for sure will turn from you. And so Job is given these sores on his body. He's cast out of the city. He's sitting in ashes, mourning, waiting for himself really to die. Uh, and he does not curse God, even as people around him tell him to curse God. And his friends come. There's a very sweet moment where his friends actually show up. They mourn with him. They sit with him. They say for a whole week, they just sit quietly with him and mourn with him. And that's kind of where we last ended. That's where we stopped. This sweet moment where friends are with another friend. But the story does not end here. In fact, the book of Job has a lot more chapters in it. And as the reality of suffering sets in, I think a fog rolls in. And it begins to cloud their view and the world around them. And so what we see for almost 30 chapters of scripture 
is Job and his friends try to articulate and ramble uh, and speculate and invent new ways to think about God and themselves and the fog rolls in and they're all over the place trying to figure out what is this and who is this God. And so today that's what we're going to look at. Uh, we're going to focus into kind of like three or four of the places that uh, <laughs> places they start as the fog rolls in, uh, misconceptions of who God is. They're going to start thinking of these things. Um, and we're going to see how those aren't true. Um, that's my hope today to encourage us in that. Uh, first of all, I just want to, I, I went through and just looked up throughout these 30 chapters. It's like you just keep going and going and it keeps rolling in. And what about this? And maybe this is what God's like. Here's some of the things they said about God. God is very petty. He gives and he takes away and he enjoys taking away. He likes to give trouble and hurt people. He likes to hedge people in. He loves to terrorize people. God is unforgiving. He's unapproachable unrestrainable. He's a powerful abuser. He's a destroyer. He's not forthcoming about offense. He's all powerful for good and ill. He's unsettled. He's an assailant. He's ruins people's reputations. He made a mess out of our lives because of his anger. In chapter 19, he's remote and far off. He's unaccountable. He's lax in his judgment. Sometimes he judges and sometimes he doesn't. He's so large and so powerful. He denies people when they plead for help. He's bitter and he's devastating to all of us, especially the wicked. You feel that just all over the, 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 what is actually going on? Who actually is God? Uh, I have to start just looking to, it must be protecting myself. It must be, he doesn't like me or he doesn't like people or he's unsettled. I, I thought of kind of three different ways we can think about this. So as we open up to Job 4, where we see the friends start this conversation, um, we see uh, this fog of suffering cause Job and his friends to think God is kind of like an unstable teenager. You're not sure when he's going to blow. You're not sure who's going to be upset with. They see him as an angry judge also. Just just laying down verdicts, sentencing people to death. Always angry, not forgiving. This is a, this is a view actually I think we often, uh, people can feel if they if they think about the Old Testament, they think, oh, he's, that was when God was angry and then God got nice. And they also in this fog often see God as an absent father. Unstable, petty, angry, spiteful, just not there. They, they can't see him. They just see themselves and maybe a few others around them. And so the blame goes to this guy who's off somewhere on his throne watching his people suffer. But let's look at a few places where we actually see this as we zoom in. In Job 4, 17, Job and his friends say, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? They're actually considering is God this petty, unstable ruler who actually maybe we're more righteous than God? Can you imagine that? We all of a sudden start believing maybe we're gods, right? We see all the, the original sin, right? Maybe we're gods. In Job 7, we hear them say, Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. And you will search me, but I'll be 
No more. They start equating and believing that Job is suffering because he sinned. And so just because of his sins, God now is giving him this terrible judgment. This heaps on this, this sentence. And it's so terrible. And they're saying, why can't you forgive me, God? So now God isn't a forgiving God. He's a terrible, angry judge. In Job 9, we hear, it is all the same. That is why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a scourge brings sudden death, he mocks the despair of the innocent. When a land falls into the hands of the wicked, he blindfolds its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? This is a pretty wild thing to say about God. Just in verse 22 and 23, he destroys the blameless and the wicked. This, he just, across the land, his power is just to destroy. It doesn't matter who. If you remember back, actually, when God and Satan were talking, God said, Do, you, you may not destroy uh, Job. But they're in, the, they're in the fog. He brings sudden death. He mocks the despair of the innocent. He, that phrase, he, there's innocent people and they're in despair and they picture a God mocking them. Right? You feel that, right? When you're, oh God, you must just be laughing, thinking this is so great. He blindfolds the judges. There are wicked people in lands doing, doing terrible things. And God blindfolds judges so there will be no judgment on those people. In Job 19, he tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. He uproots my hope like a tree. We know that our God, our God is the only thing we have for hope. And as they get 19 verses into this, they begin to think, he's the one who's actually stealing our hope. He's the one who burns against me. He actually sees me as an enemy. God has, has gone from uh, one who loves them in their minds and in their hearts to one who now is an enemy. And, and as you suffer more and more and, and that fog rolls in, you feel that. I understand that. But in verse 23, we got one more here. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. There is God is not even here. He's an angry God who sees me as an enemy, who's laughing at me from a distance. He's no longer here. He's gone. And today the hope, I hope we can, can hear, the good news we can hear, that if that God is true, this, this off-kilter, unsettled, this teenager or this angry judge or this absent father is true, then there is no gospel. With this God, there is no gospel, but thank God there is a gospel. There is a good news. We actually get a little glimpse of this. Right after this, um, as they share, a fourth friend shows up. Elihu shows up in Job 32-37, and he shares, and actually, he before this, they're having kind of a conversation, and he shows up and starts uh, speaking, I would say, truth to his friends, and they don't really respond. He just shares with them who God is. Thankfully, we have a friend who enters into the fog with them, right? And this is what he says in verse 33. To turn, he explains that God gives them um, visions to help make them holy and draw close to him. And he, he causes people to suffer or allow suffering 
so that people will draw close. And this is in 17, kind of a summary, uh, uh, an important moment as he's sharing with his friends. He says, these things happen to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride. So it turned us from sin and, and turn us away from ourselves, thinking we are important, we are God's. He does this to preserve them from the pit. This is Job 33, 17 through 18. Their lives from perishing by the sword. So their friend comes and says, God is allowing this because it will shed off of you your own pride, thinking that it's all about you. It'll turn you from your sin and hopefully turn you back to God, which will then save you from the pit, from your lives perishing by swords. And we do know this is true. We know that God doesn't necessarily just save us, though, through visions and pain, right? It's not just, oh, that was really hard and it made me rethink life and readjust, right? Because we could read a 100 self-help books that say, uh, here's how you deal with suffering. Suffering will help you refine your life and really figure out what's important. We know that the reason this 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 fog can clear, we know that the reason we're preserved is because someone else suffered and someone else paid for our pride and our disobedience and our treason. And he paid for that on a cross. We know that Jesus came. The good news is that God sent Jesus to the pit and he perished by the sword for us. So the way the fog is lifted is that we look to Jesus. Jesus lifts the fog to reveal that our God is in fact a just God, a loving God, a gracious God, and a present Father. The good news of the gospel is that we have a God who's just and loving and he's with us. We have someone who paid for our sins so that we can turn to God. He loved us so much that he would send Jesus to stand in our place of suffering the ultimate suffering, so that we would not perish in the pit. Let's let's look to scripture. There's some moments that are uh, amazing as we as we move towards just remembering uh, us good God we have in Second Corinthians one. Uh, we hear this. This listen to this in here. This is a phrase I could see Job saying. We were so utterly unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Earlier we heard Job cry out, I wish I was not born. I wish I was not alive. It continues, why we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is why we felt crushed, because we felt like we received a sentence of death. Because we did receive a sentence of death. But, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, pride, right? Not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So this crushing suffering, this despair actually causes us to shed off all the things we love, like control and our comfort, our security that we think we actually provide and realize those are false. Those aren't real. Those are bootleg gospels that need to be shedded off and suffering is a thing that often does that so that we can remember that God is the one who raises us from the dead, not ourselves. So in fact, us suffering and feeling like death is upon us actually causes us to move to the one thing that brings us life. God sheds this death from us. In Hebrews, we hear this, uh, a call to what it looks like to suffer well. And, and uh, we see this actually in Hebrews 12. But right before this in Hebrews, we hear a whole list of people who have served faithfully. Uh, in Hebrews, we're hearing, uh, these are the people over and over and over and over that, that we can look to. Uh, this great cloud of witnesses that have figured out what it looks like to suffer well. 
and be faithful to God. And what's interesting is that whole list is not many people that say, hey, this person suffered in this way, was almost killed, and then almost killed again, and suffered again in this way, and then God blessed them and gave them all they wanted because they suffered. In fact, many of those people, lives ended uh, in death, in suffering. They suffered and suffered and suffered until eventually they reached glory with God. But the, the point of Hebrews 11 and 12 is the points these people suffered, but that suffering only caused them to draw close to God, to shed off uh, all of that pride in themselves, their, their own self-made gods, and realize that there's one God who brings life. And we must cling to him. And so in Hebrews 12, then we get to this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of faith. So in all this, we look to Jesus. He lifts the fall. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne. Jesus looked ahead to the joy that would come knowing that his suffering would bring us all life. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The way to not grow weary, to lose heart, so we do not let the fog roll in and confuse us and cause us to turn from God and each other. It's to set our eyes on Jesus. Remember that he suffered too. Remember that he suffered for us. And run to him. And remember there's a joy ahead of us. So Hebrews 12 doesn't end there. It actually goes on to verse 10. It says they disciplined us for a little while as, uh, as they thought best. It's talking about even thinking about like our parents and uh, things in our life who've disciplined us, right? Because you're actually being disciplined and it's suffering to to make you better. But God, who disciplines us for our good, in order that we might share in his holiness. You thought your parents disciplined, maybe as an adult, maybe you realize, oh, that was actually helpful. God's discipline is how much better because his discipline allows us to share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hear this. Discipline is painful at, at, at the current time, but later it produces righteousness and peace. I want things to be right around me. I want to be right with God and with the people around me. I want the world to be right. I want peace. I want to be able to rest. And how do you get those? You get those through suffering, which causes us to shed those things that we're holding on to that are not of God and run to him who is life. So those things we actually want, that we desire, things I hear people posting about, I want things to be right. I want there to be peace. The, the journey to those, the path to those, goes through the opportunity we have now to be disciplined by God, which often is painful. The suffering is actually for our good because it produces peace and righteousness. Not because we produce peace and righteousness, because I suffer and then now I, I better see the world around me. It, it gave me a clear vision of all that around me, but because it realizes, it, it points me to follow Jesus and say, I'm going to follow Jesus who has died so that we could have peace and, and righteousness. How, now, how much better is God at work in us that sheds off our pride and le that leads to death. Alone, we, we can run to Jesus 
and have life. And we have this opportunity to become more holy, closer to God who is close to us and at peace. We have an opportunity to lift the fog and see clearly the people we are created to be. Worshippers of God, trusting in our loving Father. Our suffering is to shut off our prideful beliefs that we are actually in control, that we can actually handle this, that we are God's. It allows us to rest in the good news that God is God, and he's for us, and he's with us. The peace and right standing with God come through Jesus, his pain and suffering, so that we may suffer and have pain now, but forever we'll, we'll not have pain with him. So we must remember our Father who is just and loving and is with you. So instead of reading uh, more maybe about the virus this week, uh, or, or hearing your friends' thoughts on the virus this week, or maybe random people you've never heard of thoughts on the virus this week, I encourage you, uh, instead of scrolling through hundreds of words about things that only are going to cause the fog to roll in, I encourage you to look uh, to the words that actually should point us to the God who does have all things in control. It seems as if this book of Job is actually not about Job, but about us remembering that God has all things in control. I want to encourage you too that this is this is why we uh, were able to set up this dwell app because uh, having scripture read over you isn't just a kind of a cool thing or a, a way to spend some of your time this week. Uh, hearing those words are so important for us to remember who God is. I want to actually share with you one that I often read. Uh, this is the a Bible I got a long time ago. Um, that's why it's all flappy, and I love it. And this is, uh, my, my Ephesians is like all marked up. You can kind of see it. It's all written on, and well, it's out of focus, but whatever. Um, Ephesians has been a book that has reminded me of that many times. And the first few chapters of Ephesians tells us who God is and, and who we are. And so I want to read to you as we end with Ephesians 1. Um, and, uh, let me read this to you, just Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. I encourage you just to take this in. Let this wash over you as we remember who God is because we're going we're gonna to let the fog roll in and we're going to start believing that God is not the God who he is. And that will cause more despair and eventually will cause death in us, in our souls. And so to bring life to our souls, we need to remember this. So, so listen to this, friends, as we end our, our, our time here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You were chosen in God before the world was even created, he thought of you, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, because he loves us, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We are orphans and he, because he loves us, wanted us in his family. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Remember that unforgiving God? That's a lie. Through Christ we have forgiveness. According to the riches of his grace, he piles the riches of his grace on us, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. We want things to be right and they'll be right in Christ. 
So friends, I, uh, that's what I pray for you. That's what I've been praying for you and continue to pray for you that we would uh, set our eyes on Jesus and the joy ahead of us and that in this current time we have the opportunity to be people who uh, not only have the fog lift but also help others and can enter into the fog with people and help them know there is hope and there is life. A few things to be considering this week as we reflect on this. I encourage you to think about how you view God and yourself. Think this week as you're feeling overwhelmed and that rolls in that what is it what am I thinking about who God is and who myself who I who am I uh, in all of this? I encourage you to look to the word for that. How would your week change if you believe God was just loving and close to you? Where do you get your view of God? Is that scripture? Is it gospel friends? Is it other friends? Is it just how you feel and think? Is it just you? How do you think about God? And lastly, friends, do you know someone who needs to know that God is just loving and near? And I think we're in a time where we get the opportunity to speak that great hope uh, to people who are feeling uh, unsure of a lot of things. And so we get the opportunity this week to think, who can we share with with them that God is loving and near? Let me pray for us, and then um, I want to take an opportunity for us to actually share some prayer requests and pray for a few minutes before we end. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, thanks for being good, really good to us. Thank you that you're not an angry judge. Thank you that you're not an absent father, but instead near and loving and gracious and that you've heaped riches of your grace on us. I pray that we'd rest well knowing that and that we'd help others know that great truth. Amen.